Good morning, everyone. The Lord be with you. Just uh, as a matter of, uh, for your information, I am rooting for the Bills this morning, or today, uh, but also for the Packers, and you notice the colors, so, yeah. Uh, one other brief announcement that I do need to share with you this morning as well. The, the uh, Mark study this week, uh, if you're interested, it was, it was posted as being offered this week. It's actually uh, not. There's a scheduling conflict, so we will resume the Mark class uh, uh, next week. So. so this morning, we're continuing in this sermon series on defining word. Over the last few weeks, we've defined words like uh, salvation, sin, and grace. And the word that we're going to define this morning or attempt to define, is kingdom. It is a word that Jesus uh, used very often. It was probably the number one thing Jesus talked about. So what is the, the kingdom? I want to start by acknowledging how foreign is the idea of kingdom to us Americans. We celebrate our independence, right? Uh, we threw off a sovereign and a monarchy 244 years ago. We even fought a war over it. We are rugged individualists. We are an enlightened people. We are a democracy, a republic, a self-governing people. We have a voice and a vote. And now we even have social media, a platform, if you will, to vent or vet our political opinions and ideologies and to proclaim or pretend that we are in some way captains of our own destiny. And so the notion of a kingdom or a king is not part of our vernacular. We are sometimes entertained or enamored by royalty. Jamestown has twice, I believe, had visits from royalty, from the king and queen of Sweden, King Carl and Queen Sylvia. Perhaps some of you got into the Downton Abbey series or the crown. Some scoff at monarchs as being antiquated, mere relics or symbols. Or in the case of those who have real power, dictators and despots. When our own elected official, officials wield a little too much power, as our governor occasionally has, we call them things like King Cuomo. And so the very idea of kingdom, we should acknowledge, bristles us. We don't want to be under the authority or accountability to any one person, even if that person is God the rightful king. I recall during the 2016 election, one of the local churches here in Jamestown had a sign on their billboard that said, have you voted for Jesus yet? And I remember thinking it was a little silly because the kingdom of God is not a democracy. There's no voting and Jesus isn't running for any office. He's already king, the rightful king before whom every knee will bow. The words, Jesus is king, come easily to our lips, but I'm afraid that we sometimes fall short of grasping really what those mean for us. I'm hoping or imagining that you have come to a point of maturity in your own walk to trust God, to trust that God is the king of love and that there is no one else to whom you can give your life or entrust yourself to who has nothing but your best interest in mind. And even when things are difficult, even when it seems as though life isn't going your way, to trust that our sovereign Lord has the wisdom and the power to work all things together for good. There's an old hymn of the church that goes like this. The king of love my shepherd is, 
whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. We're going to have a bit of difficulty, quite honestly, in defining what the kingdom is because neither Jesus nor the writers of Scripture defined exactly what they meant by this expression. They simply assumed that their hearers or readers would understand. The Scripture lesson this morning is one among many that we might have chosen, uh, but we're reading from Matthew's Gospel this morning, chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So the heart of Jesus teaching and preaching centered on the theme of the kingdom. How many times don't we hear Jesus begin telling a story or parable with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, by the way, are interchangeable uh, sort of phrases or terms. They are everywhere in the Gospels. You can find them more than 85 times. or was so prominent in the teachings of Jesus, demands that we have some level of understanding. What is it that Jesus is getting at? What is it that he's talking about when he's speaking of the kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Whatever, wherever Jesus went, he preached the good news, the evangel, the gospel of the kingdom. C.S. Lewis said that the imagination, imagination is the organ of meaning. Perhaps this is why Jesus used imagery, story, and metaphor to capture the imagination, to inspire, to communicate a vision of the kingdom. But it wasn't just a vision. Jesus also demonstrated the kingdom in tangible, concrete ways, as we heard in our scripture this morning, by the healings that he brought, the miracles, physical healing, relief from pain and suffering, freedom from oppression and bondage, and offering new life. The kingdom isn't just an idea or an ideology. It is a spiritual realm that has real power and authority. The kingdom of God is a change agent, a force for good, affecting reconciliation and restoration. It brings real hope and real healing to our world, in part now and fully when Christ returns. It breaks into the present, even as we await the fullness of that kingdom when Christ the King returns in glory. The kingdom is both now and not yet. We can experience it in part now and fully with the consummation of history. Jesus' ministry began in the area of Galilee, which is in the northern region of Israel. His influence and fame, as our scripture this morning says, spread beyond that region, but that was his primary mission field. Don't miss that the kingdom inaugurated by Christ appears in the northern woods, in the forgotten backwater of the Roman Empire and the Jewish religion. Not in Rome, not even in Jerusalem, but first in Galilee, 
The kingdom defies being aligned or associated with worldly power and authority. It is an upside-down kingdom. If I may borrow a line from President Biden's inauguration address this last week, he said, we will lead not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. Now that may be wishful thinking on the part of, president and, of a president and people who possess tremendous worldly power, but it is a reality for an almighty and all-powerful God. The power of God is seen in his example of love, of humility, of surrender and sacrifice, and in vulnerability. Contrary to every fiber of our being, we can scarce fathom the wisdom and the power of God that are both hidden and revealed in the cross. You and I know that worldly power does not operate that way. It puts people on crosses. We have witnessed in recent weeks the grasping of power, the clinging to privilege and position, how very different is the kingdom of God, a kingdom and a king like no other? What does the kingdom look like? I think, we have a better, I think we have a better opportunity of explaining what you can see or experience of the kingdom much more so than simply defining it. I will attempt to define it this morning. But what, when the kingdom breaks into the present, what can you expect to see or experience or hear? Well, the kingdom of God is marked by healing and hope, restoration, and reconciliation, forgiveness, and life, beauty, and justice, loving, and caring community. When you see those things, when we experience those things, it's probably an example of the kingdom of God breaking into the present. And there's something about the kingdom that was good news even before the cross, because Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He sent his disciples out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. This was before he ever went to the cross. So the, the kingdom of God was good news before the cross. It's even better news now. Jeremy Treat, a pastor and a professor at Biola University, gives an eight-word definition of the kingdom. And this might be the closest you're going to get to a definition this morning, or at least of hearing one. It is this. God's reign through God's people over God's place. God's reign through God's people over God's place. God's reign. God is king. And he is ruling as king. And one day he will come as king to set right what our sin has made wrong. To right all the wrongs of this world. The phrase, by the way, kingdom of God, is the reign or the rule of God. That might be a, even a, a just, a, it, you literally could translate kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as the rule or the reign of God. That's ultimately what it's getting at. It's not a place. It's not a physical geographical place. It is the rule and the reign of God. He is our sovereign Lord to whom we owe all allegiance and all love above all others, in fact, so far above all others, that we dare not align or associate him with any nation or state or prince, president, prime minister, or party. He is so far above all earthly rule that he is king of kings and lord of lords. As the people of God, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ as those who are citizens of God's kingdom through Christ. Our allegiance is not to a flag 
or an elephant or a donkey, but the Lamb of God who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why would we, listen friends, why would we settle for a lesser king or lesser kingdoms, our own little thrones or empires or nations, states or parties, especially when it is promised that we will inherit the kingdom, that we, as citizens of that kingdom, as we who belong to Christ, will reign with Christ for eternity. Why would we settle for less? As citizens of God's kingdom, we are graced with meaning and purpose and belonging. We are graced with the indwelling of God's spirit to incarnate the good news. We pray for and we participate with God in making his kingdom come. But let me be clear, I'm not talking about a movement to make of this nation some Christian utopia or a new Israel or a theocracy. Let's be clear. The kingdom is not of this world, but it is present in the world. It breaks into this world. It is not aligned with any nation or party or people. Nations rise and fall. This nation will rise and fall. But the kingdom of God is forever. Listen, there is a time and a place for patriotism. But the church is not that place. The United States is growing less Christian and less white, which is prompting fear and defensiveness and making some think that we are under attack, that we are being persecuted, that we are losing our country. America is a great experiment, a great nation a great melting pot, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. A nation of increasing diversity and ethnicity, a nation that in its pledge of allegiance purports to be a place of liberty and justice for all, but has not actually lived up to that promise to all. Listen, listen carefully. Christian nationalism, which is the co-mingling of allegiance to Christ and to the state is a desperate attempt for white Christians to maintain their privilege and power, and it is idolatry. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left. It's an extreme on either side. We end up worshiping a very tiny American Jesus who looks an awful lot like us. Christian nationalism is a threat to the church and to the nation. It undermines the gospel and it breeds contempt, division, and radical extremism. And I want to stress, this is on the right and the left, no matter what the extremes are. People believe lies and conspiracy theories because they are unable or unwilling to face reality. The bottom line is this, the kingdom of God is eternal and it transcends space and time, culture and political ideologies. It transcends and sometimes even transforms nations and borders and human hearts. Our sovereign Lord is truly King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. We are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom of God in all its truth, love, wonder, and power is worthy of our, of our heart's devotion and our life's work. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I want to share a scripture that is, in a sense, a, a prayer, uh, an act of worship, uh, an affirmation of who God is, an accolade of who God is, that puts things in their proper perspective for us. These words come from the book of Revelation, from chapter 4 and 5. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise and glory. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.